Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And you're about to get jumped. Welcome to episode 210 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Mob Psycho 100 Part 2, Episodes 10 through 11, plus the first three episodes of Nisekoi, wherein one, a secret crime organization vies for world destruction, and in the other, two secret crime organizations put their differences on hold in the name of young love. You gotta, you just gotta, you just gotta deal with the fact that every story is based off of, like, five stories. So if you think about it, the one story is the love story, and the other story is, you know, that classic tale of boy runs to get strong, boy fights against an evil organization while trying to teach them the way that they should live their lives, and he's going to trust them to go off and do their own thing. It's a classic story as old as time. Anyways, let's jump in. The tale is all this time. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Yep, we're we're here again, and we're here with Nisekoi again. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and Mob, I guess. Uh, yeah. Oh, there was something else. I was. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, you were going to talk oh, about I had Pokemon, an idea. which is the thing you only talk about always. No, but I do have a news article for Pokemon, so I guess I will talk about it. That's I do. I do. love Pokemon. This was the first week in which I didn't play Pokemon at least once a day since the new games came out. <laughs> and I just got real busy this week. Uh, but they're still good. They're still good games. I think I, uh, if you listen to the episode that I did with my husband, we both talked. This was after we'd had the games for about 24 hours, maybe a little bit less. And we both played for the majority of the day. He took a day off of work and I stayed home and we, we both played Pokemon all day. And then um, uh, we kind of gave our, our first impressions. And I think uh, since then, I know he's beaten the game from the perspective of he's gotten the credits. I'm probably about uh, a little over halfway through, maybe 55 to 60 percent of the way done with each of the three storylines. And, um, so, you know, I think eventually we're going to record a sort of like follow-up on those thoughts, but, uh, I will say I've, I've been thinking a lot about the game from the perspective of like, I think it's a great game. I always like all Pokemon games. And, uh, I think that this one is no exception to that. I think, I think there was almost an exception to that, which was brilliant diamond and shining pearl, which I only liked because they were Pokemon, but everything else about it, I found very frustrating. <laughs> uh, and if it weren't Pokemon, I wouldn't have liked it. But uh, I think Scarlet and Violet are just really, really, really good games from a, a gameplay perspective. And then obviously there's been a lot said about the performance issues. And I've been thinking about that so much from the perspective of somebody who is like such a Pokemon fanboy. And most of my gaming has been Pokemon. I've definitely played other games, but I don't sink hours and hours into them like I do Pokemon. I frequently don't finish games unless they're Pokemon. Um, I just, I, they just don't hold my attention as much. I just really, really like Pokemon. And so it's like, I have this skewed perspective of game performance and stuff. I'm also the type of person who got an Xbox 360 after like the next Xbox had been out for more than a year. So I am always really late to the party on modern technology. So my, my perceptions of like, what is up to date are not current. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot of people really want and and expect more from Pokemon from like a performance and graphics standpoint. And I just don't, I'm just not that person. Uh, But I think Scarlet and Violet have been buggy enough that I've understood people's perspective on that more than I ever have before. Um, Because for the first time, like I, I wouldn't say that I had a particularly buggy experience with any of the previous games, you know, there might've been one or two glitches here and there that were just sort of like funny little one-off moments, but for the most part, they've always run and played perfectly fine. Uh, These games have not, (laughs) I haven't had any crashes yet. Uh, My husband has had several crashes, but I have not, but uh, you know, they're just buggy. They're kind of glitchy. They're a little janky. Um, And I just think that the gameplay is good enough that it usurps whatever problems are there. The reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, I think that uh, one, 
I've been looking at a lot of reviews. I think a lot of the first look reviews came down really, really hard on the performance issues, but a lot of the Pokemon people that I've been sort of like following up with to see what their sort of like opinions are over time with this game have come down on the, the game's positives outweigh the negatives angle. And I'm definitely in that camp, but I've been sort of like, you know, because of my maybe more limited outlook on video games as a whole, I've been a little reluctant to just like state that out loud for a general audience. But uh, I know on the the hosts of it's super effective, uh, particularly SBJ has been talking about that. And then um, I, I know I watched a video with Wolf Glick talking about that. He's a very, uh, if you if you know Pokemon competitive, he's a pretty famous Pokemon competitive, uh, I think, former champion. And um, and both of them came out and were like, this is just one of the most fun games, of, like one of the most fun experiences with playing Pokemon that I've had. And essentially just like the enjoyment and the gameplay loop that's created here is better than the glitches that distract from it. Um, and I would definitely co-sign that. Uh, that also leads me into the article that I pulled for this week. This was actually from December 1st, so it's a, a little over a week old at this point. Um, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet patch arrives with bug fixes and Nintendo apologizes for the game's performance. This is from Game Informer, um, and it basically notes that there was uh, the first major patch for, uh, for the Pokemon Scarlet and Violet games. The list of Updates for version 1.1.0 is a season one ranked battles kicking off, uh, which is the first uh, season of uh, official competitive Pokemon battling. Um, And you can check in game for more details about the ranked battle uh, season one. Uh, They fixed an issue that caused some music not to play correctly during battles with the Elite Four and the top champion in the Victory Road path. And then uh, they note other select bug fixes has been made have been made. They don't specify, which is pretty on brand for Nintendo. They frequently will just be like, we fixed bugs and everybody has to kind of like try and figure out what the bugs are that were fixed. Um, I, I will say after the patch came out, I didn't really notice any performance changes in my day to day gaming. I know on the most recent episode of it's always uh, of it's super effective. They noted that like they had seen some people reacting that they had seen positive improvements and some people that they had seen no improvements and sort of wondered how much of this was a placebo effect of people wanting it to run better after a patch was released. Um, But the Pokemon company apologized for the performance, which is semi unprecedented. Uh, Pokemon has never been the game's series that's at the cutting edge of game performance. Um, And a lot of, a lot of players have been derisive of that. Uh, in what I would argue are various degrees of uh, realisticness or fairness. But uh, this is the first time, as far as I know, that Nintendo has outright apologized for the performance of a game that they released in the Pokemon series. Um, So that's really, really surprising and really does speak to the pervasiveness of these glitches. And also uh, they noted that there will be uh, ongoing work on the games to continue patching them and improving their performance. And I would say that is mostly unsurprising because uh, given the fact that Sword and Shield ended up having two different DLC packs, uh, I think everybody is expecting that that was the beginning of the new trend of games having DLC instead of a third version. Uh, And Sword and Shield lasted for about three years, which seems to be the cycle that the Pokemon games have been on based on the last couple of releases for like a decade or so. Um, And that's, you know, good news, bad news. That's tied to the fact that like Pokemon is not just a video game company. It's a, you know, most of its merchandise is on, um, or most most of its sales are on merchandise sales, but those merchandise sales are tied to the Pokemon introduced in a new generation of games. So the Pokemon games are sort of forced onto a three-year track by the existence of the anime and the merchandise and the card game and all that stuff, uh, because they're all sort of beholden to it as these, the, Um, you know, standard bearer of the next generation and they need it to hit the next generation so that those various money-making properties can continue. Um, So that's good news, bad news for that. But uh, essentially from that, we can infer that most likely we will have these games until November, three years from now. There will probably be some remakes or some offshoot games, you know, maybe maybe a remake of Gen 5, maybe another jaunt into Kanto because why not? Maybe a uh, maybe another Pokemon Legends Arceus style, you know, historical game. 
uh, or maybe something else. But uh, generally, they release some stuff in between. But it's about three years between their for their you know next generation game and the subsequent generation. Um, but they've usually really released a third version up until uh, Gen Eight, in which they did not release a third version or some sort of you know ultra version or whatever. They just released DLC. That's probably going to be true here. And so they're going to have to update the game's performance to get people to buy DLC because the outcry against the performance of these games has been enough that I think they can expect that people are not necessarily going to jump on spending more money on the game if they are under the assumption that the games will be as buggy as they were at release. And so I think that this press release all but confirms that we'll see that with the caveat that they don't you know, they don't come right out and say, like, we're going to try and get it up to this level. We're going to try and fix these specific things. So there is there is a certain uncertainty there. And I'm sure that there are challenges behind the scenes as far as like they do need to create that DLC and get it up up and running. I'm assuming there will be more than one DLC just based off of the single trend point of Sword and Shield. But who knows? And um all of that is sort of like put up against the fact that like there's definitely a team already working on Generation 10 because usually they have two teams working on their main series games and one is on the one that's about to come out and one is the one on the one that comes out next. And, uh, you know, there's going to be people from this game working on the DLC that I just I just don't expect there's a ton of resources for bug fixes. So I think we'll continue to see the games improve, but I think people should temper their expectations as far as them becoming like a perfect running machine, I just don't think that's going to happen. Mm. Interesting stuff, Blake. Interesting stuff. You just uh... yeah, it's sort of a new frontier with the Pokemon games. Like I said, I've never had this experience, so it's new. It's a whole new world we live in. Do 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 for the for the pocket bonds. Anyways, um, so uh, is there any other anime news that you have before we have to talk about the show that we already read about? <laughs> <laughs> this is the, that was the only thing I wrote down this week. So I think I'm done. Oh man. I, uh, I wasn't blown away with the anime version of this. Were you, <laughs> uh, this was, uh, as a, as a reminder, Nisekoi were watching the anime after reading it last week. Um, I kind of was blown away is definitely not accurate, but I was, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. Yeah. I think, Uh, I think where I was left on it was kind of where I was left with the, the manga where I, I thought it was, I thought it was sort of charming, but not really for me. Um, I did appreciate the animation quality though. So high, such yeah. high animation quality. Yeah. That might explain why the anime is only 20 episodes long while the manga runs over 200. Yeah. Is that they just were like, we're going to tell this first section of the story. We're going to get up to here and give us the money to do it. And then they fucking did because the animation quality is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Uh, it It's really beautiful. It's like gorgeous to look at. And they also do that thing that Jojo's Bizarre Adventure does where sometimes they play with the colors of things and make sort of like artistic moments rather than realistic moments. And I thought that was really delightful too. Yeah. I think, Um, I think the beauty of the show is, is one of the things that would get people that are really interested in this genre to be, to be kind of blown away with the way that it was made. Um, I, I, okay. Here's a, here's an important thing I think for people that are, have read the manga and are on the fence about the anime. Um, I, I do, I do think that if you're one of the people that, uh, maybe you haven't done both, actually, if you haven't read the manga or seen the anime and you want to start with one, um, if you were pissed off by, uh, the God, what was the name of the anime that was about? Um, uh, I think it was like the way of the house husband, I think. But the manga was fantastic, yeah. but the anime was just like a flip book, like a flip book of the manga. It wasn't actually animated correctly. If you're into that genre, I think that this anime version of this is good enough to where you should pick up the anime first and go through it. I I don't think it's as funny as the way of the house husband, but it definitely has like a has like a a feel of uh, understanding like you know, mob mentality inside of a a world that doesn't completely, you know, accept it. 
it's it's not so much where it's just like you know this is this is something unrealistic that would happen but it is one of those things where it's just like it's giving you a a peek into maybe a yakuza world mixed with a romeo and juliet feel um and i i think that those plays on kind of like the the mob world inside of japan are the same reason why people are enchanted by things like the sopranos and stuff like that where it's just like it's not just mm. about there being a mob and being hits and all those kind of stuff because like yeah you can watch that in so many other different ways it's about watching the people that are remo- like related to those things tangentially and i think that that's that's an interesting genre it's just not my favorite yeah in- interestingly i would i would say that nisekoi's connection to crime families is a more place setting than anything. There yeah. really isn't any crime family ing going on. It is about as I would say, well, I was going to say it's about as serious as Romeo and Juliet, but it's less serious than Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Romeo and Juliet, they actively fight and several people are killed. Uh, but yeah, in this, they are technically crime, crime organizations that are opposed to each other. And the, you know, patriarchs of each organization has the kids seek, you know, fake date in order to uh, quell the tensions between their two organizations. And there is no mobbing going around. You see several of the people from like our, our main characters group from the Yakuza, they're like beaten up from something they did previously, but you don't see the thing they did. And when the two groups meet with each other, when the kids are first revealed to be, you know, air quotes dating, there's tension there and they threaten to fight each other. And there's even a moment where, you know, the two sort of like lead guys, not the, not the leaders, the parents, but the, you know, right hand men sort of make violent overtures uh, near the kids to sort of, stress the importance of this but but that's really the the point that this is serving in the story is these are dangerous people and so the kids have to pretend to be together not these are dangerous people and they will be doing dangerous things periodically yeah Uh, it makes me almost think of that there was that manga we read a little while ago that we didn't particularly care for where like the guy gets wrapped up in a family of assassins and that is about him having to be a normal person learning assassinating. This is not about them being middle schoolers juggling the life of a crime family and a fake relationship. It is about them juggling a fake relationship and the crime family only exists so that there are people who will resort to violence if they fail to juggle the relationship properly. Mm-hmm. But the violence isn't a part of it. There you know, I don't know if the story moves in this direction eventually these two characters are supposed to be the heirs to their respective crime families. There isn't any aspect of this story. That's about them training to be a crime Lord or doing crimey or crime adjacent things. Like they are just normal middle school kids who are interested in going to school and navigating this relationship. They're being forced into rather than having like, if you took the crime aspect out of this, other than people wondering why they were continuing with this relationship ruse, the story would be unchanged. So it really is just kind of like table setting. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think, I think overall, like I said last week, I'm not much for the romance genre on its face. There are aspects of the romance genre that can get my attention, but it is not a genre that gets my attention by its very presence. Like something like a superhero genre does. Yeah. Um, this show, I think, is similar, but I will say, as I noted last week, Nisekoi is one of the manga that I randomly started reading on my own, and I've read about 20 chapters of it, and as much as it isn't my cup of tea, it's a pretty good version of itself, such that I would probably rather read One Piece or Bleach or My Hero every time I'm you know, pulling up a chapter of it. But it's good enough that it keeps my attention. And from that perspective, as somebody who's not in the genre fans, I would again co-sign that this is a great choice for people who really like sort of like uh, romantic genre or specifically the trope of like forced dating. Um, I would also say that the anime wasn't what I expected. One, I wasn't expecting it to have such high production value. 
But uh, two, when I read the manga, I don't read it as being so loud. <laughs> like, yeah. I was surprised at how loud and sort of manically energetic the characters were in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that the pacing is particularly manic. I think the pacing is really good in these first three episodes. And they tell a very clear story. I ne- I was never bored watching this, which I know is usually my complaint when we're watching off-genre things. Um, I found this completely interesting. Um, and honestly, I could see myself watching more of it, although I think part of that is related to the fact that I'm already reading it. And so it's like, oh yeah, I'm curious to see about like some of the things that haven't shown up in the anime for me yet, how they would show up in the anime. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but I, I definitely think that the vibes when I was reading this were different than the vibes that they put together from a production standpoint, from a voice acting standpoint. I was really surprised by that. And it, it hews a little close to the comedy based on people yelling about how strange things are. Um, But it, it managed to land in the acceptable side of that for me. So overall, again, I would say this isn't really for me, but as, as something that's not for me, I really didn't mind it and I wouldn't mind finding myself watching it again for whatever reason. Um, I it's only 20 episodes. There's a universe where I watched this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it may or may not be the universe in which we live, but the, that universe exists. And uh, I just, I think that if this is your thing, this, this is really going to be your thing. Uh, like if, if this genre or the style of storytelling is your thing, you're going to love this. I can't recommend it highly for highly enough for those people. And I would say that it's good enough that if this is not usually your thing, but something about it has caught your interest, it's worth checking out to see if it has staying power for you. Yeah. And with that, we have our normal scheduled anime to talk about finally after weeks of talking about it. Anyways, uh, we're going to go back to Mob Psycho 100, and uh, Blake, can you tell us what happened previously on Mob Psycho? On Mob Psycho 100, we have a kid named Mob. Uh, That's his nickname, but a lot of people call him that. We're going to call him that, too. He is a a, uh, probably 12 or so year old middle school student. He has uh, abnormally high abilities with psychic powers, mostly telekinesis. Um, in this universe, it, it's basically normal Japan, but also sometimes people are psychic for real. And also sometimes there are real ghosts and the psychics are able to use their psychic powers to exorcise those ghosts. Um, Mob uses his powers at a detective agency. Um, it's basically a supernatural detective agency in which he is the primary exorcist. Uh, But he believes, I think less so these days, but initially he started with this job under the impression that the guy running the company, which is a man named Reagan, was a very powerful psychic. And that by interning with him, he would learn how to sort of like control his powers and be a psychic in this world. The truth of the matter is that Reagan is a con artist and he simply claims that supernatural things are occurring and then does something simple. He'll say, hey, you are you feel down or tense or weighted because you are being haunted by an evil spirit. And then he will sort of yell to distract you while performing some quick massage moves. And then you feel better because he just massaged out your tension and he claims that he exercised the demon and you go away happy and he makes some money while, you know, keeping up this ruse. He's that kind of guy. Fortunately, unfortunately, Mob has real psychic powers and in fact, quite a lot of them. And so his ruse extends to him basically pretending that he is a great psychic, but that he isn't going to waste his powers on you know whatever thing they're facing at the moment because mob is his psychic in training and should handle it when in reality he is sort of terrified at the you know real danger that some of these things can pose and is hoping that mob can handle it because if mob can't no one can so they have this kind of fun dynamic um and you know reagan as as a con artist who is taking advantage of a middle school student should be kind of detestable but he's just so darn likable that you you kind of grow to love him and he's gonna have one of my favorite moments in the entire series in the second episode we're covering today so i'm very excited about that um during their uh during their various adventures 
Uh, Mob has run across a group of psychics called Claw. This is a secret organization that has been gathering psychics and also, uh, I think, manufacturing psychics. They found some way to to uh, artificially imbue psychic powers into people. And they have created a, uh, I don't know, they talk like it's a global organization. Um, basically, Claw has, has just launched an attack on Japan that is to be the first in their sort of... Uh, attempt to take over the world. And uh, we we hear some stuff from the leader of Claw talking about traveling the world looking for psychics, but we don't see any attacks outside of the cities. Uh, so I think this attack is localized. I think it is a global organization from the standpoint that it is willing to mobilize globally, but I'm not sure that it has done. Um, but right now, Claw has launched an attack on Japan. They kidnapped the prime minister and they uh, intend to take over the world and establish a new world order with their psychic leader as the sort of, you know, global king. Um, Mob has also made some allies during their travels. Um, there are a couple of people that used to be antagonists. Most of those are what's called scars. So those are members of Claw that are high ranking. Uh, they receive a scar on their body as a sort of marker of their rank. And uh, they basically mob approached and took down one sort of like, I don't know, unit of the organization. And so now the scars from that unit have become allies of his against the rest of Claw. Um, there's also a group of kids that were kidnapped by that unit of scar or of Claw that, uh, were kidnapped basically because they were part of a psychic, like a program that was meant to like find and foster the abilities of kids with latent psychic abilities. None of them were particularly strong, uh, but they were kidnapped by claw to see if they could become sort of like brainwashed psychic soldiers uh, and mob, you know, rescued them while he dismantled that wing of the organization. So those kids are back. They've been getting a little bit stronger and uh, they have allied with Mob's group. Uh, Mob's group is is being led mostly by Reagan and by one of his earliest antagonists, who he defeated pretty handily and has since become an ally of his. Uh, and that is, uh, what's his name, Teru? So Teru uh, is a pretty powerful psychic, although nobody really holds a candle to Mob. Um, he, he and Reagan have teamed up to lead this kind of ragtag resistance group. Um, and also, uh, mobs younger brother has developed psychic powers. Um, and he has, he has met up with a kid named show. So uh, mobs brother is named Ritsu. Um, he met up with a kid named show who was a sort of mysterious and very powerful person who showed up when initially they were trying to take out that wing of claw. Uh, we didn't really know much about him, but he he's going to show up again here and sort of team up with Ritsu and they're going to go off and do their own thing. So there's all these sort of protagonist psychics working against claw, the antagonist psychics. Um, now that claw has taken over like a big tower in the middle of, uh, well, they call it seasoning city. It's a, you know, fictional city that's sort of Tokyo-esque and uh, they are staging a world overthrow coup from this headquarters, but our heroes want to stop them. And that's, that brings us up to episode 10. All right. So this is episode 10 of Mob Psycho 100 season two. It is called Collision uh, Tilda Power Type Tilda. Um, so this episode is going to it's going to be all about how they're going to finally attack against claw and, uh, man, oh man, uh, the fight sequences that we are going to get over the next couple of episodes are astounding. <laughs> like some it's of so the good. best, some of the best animation I've seen in anime possibly like it's, it's, it's really fucking good. <laughs> like I just, yeah. I cannot, I cannot talk about this enough. Man, I love this show so much. 
it's so good. And, and these two episodes are great. And also at the end of them, I was like mad that we weren't watching more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so good. So yeah, the, the um, group of psychics that are, you know, allied with our protagonists, they're going to try and attack, uh, like launch an attack on the claw headquarters. And so half of them stay above ground and start using their psychic powers to try and like move vehicles through the air toward the perimeter that's been set up by claw minions. And this is supposed to be a distraction from the other group that's heading through the sewers to try and get into like an access door of the tower itself and kind of do a, a surprise backdoor attack and bring down the organization in, in a sort of like, you know, quick, uh, cloak and dagger type uh, movement. Um, so, meanwhile, Mob is unconscious. Yes, he's been unconscious <laughs> for a couple episodes, and he's mm-hmm. elsewhere. Like the the protagonist group has moved forward to attack the enemies, and Reagan, uh, Reagan, and their sort of spirit friend Dimple have been left behind to oversee the functionally comatose mob until he can recover and therefore join the fight. And that is going to not go great. Yeah. So Reagan and Dimple um, mostly are just like hanging out with mobs, unconscious body. And uh, they're like, well, we need to continue forward, but we're uh, suddenly going to be attacked by one of the ultimate five. Um, His ability is that he can turn his, he can like pump, his muscles with psychic energy and use it kind of like a, like a super steroid. Think of Bane from, you know, the classic Batman and Robin movie. Um, yeah. Or he, muscular from my hero academia. Yeah. So he is able to get super, super, super strong. The thing is about it though. When he first shows up, Reagan's like, Oh no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And then sprays him with a knockout spray. And then he just like passes out and Reagan's just like, well, good thing I had this. And then he wakes up and he's just like, Oh no. And then he sprays him again and he falls asleep for a second. And he's just like, okay, I think we're fine this time. And then he wakes up and he's just like, fuck, we got to go guys. <laughs> yeah. He, it's so good. Cause he keeps like, the guy, the, this dude's name Shibata, the big muscly boy, he keeps trying to do the anime thing where he's like, you can't stop me because I'm too powerful because this is how my power works. And Reagan just sprays him in the middle of it and like cuts off his sentence. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Um, so the, the only reason the they're able news, to get, uh, we, what were you talking about? I was going to say the bad news is that one of two things is happening here. I'm a little unclear. Either Shibata is too powerful for the knockout gas and he is becoming enraged or he's too powerful for the knockout gas, but he's mostly unconscious, but this sort of like bestial hulkish versions like aspects of himself are not unconscious. Yeah. I can't tell if he's like working on muscle memory here or if he's actually just impervious to the knockout gas, mm-hmm. but he becomes bigger and more monstrous after each knockout gas spray. And yeah. he becomes like less verbal and more sort of like more sort of like early Hulk where he's just yeah. sort of like a lumbering brute with kind of monosyllabic vocabulary and he's just out to punch mob into smithereens. Yeah. So then we are going to get two things that happen relatively quickly. So Dimple is going to possess mob so that he can run away with mob's body because he is not able to fight against this guy with mob's body. He tries to for a minute and then he's just like, nope, it's not going to work. So he runs away and in his running away, he runs into the body improvement club and uh, Dimple is knocked out of mob's body but the Body Improvement Club is going to try to fight against Shibata, and they're not going to be able to to deal with him enough except for when Dimple possesses the leader of the Body Improvement Club, and we get a fucking great fight. There's a there's a really great moment before the possession. So oh, the, where the he, Body Improvement Club he tries to save yeah. Mob by his lonesome. Yeah, they. 
Yeah, they do this like great attempt to fight against Shibata, and it goes medium at first, but very quickly turns sour because Shibata is just so powerful. And they can see that he's after Mob, and so like he knocks all of them down. And then the leader of the Body Improvement Club, whose name is Musashi, like throws himself bodily over Mob's body. So he's just sort of like crouched in kind of like almost a plank position over Mob's body while Shibata is like pounding on his back. And you see like the force of Shibata's blows are like causing the pavement around Musashi's hands and knees to crack. But all the while Musashi is like speaking to Mob's unconscious form. And he's like, you've been a part of our club. Like you're part of our family. But more than that, like we know that you're not as strong as us. And we have, we have noticed that you have like struggled behind us at times. And those times when we were on runs that you were barely able to finish, but you kept going and your perseverance and your, like your, your ability to like push yourself gave us the courage to like keep going as well. And it is just this like absolutely beautiful moment. And I know, like, from from that perspective of, like, when people, especially you'll start hearing a lot of this now that we're coming up on New Year's, people are going to be making New Year's resolutions. And, you know, one of the most common New Year's resolution is I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to get in shape. And a lot of people who are not in shape feel very fraught about going to the gym because they're like, there are all these, like, gym bros that have been going to the gym forever and are in excellent shape. And they're all going to be like lifting all these weights and being like super fit. And it's really intimidating. And I don't want to be like feeling like I look slobby or, you know, out of shape around them and feel like they are judging me. And I've seen over and over again, mostly in like different like, um, you know, like bodybuilding or weightlifting or exercise subreddits where people will pose this question of like, you know, I'm I'm basically self-conscious and what do I do? I want to go to the gym, but I'm self-conscious of all the people at the gym. And the response is always like, nobody is paying as much attention to you as you think they are. But the other aspect of this is that when, when those people that are in the gym all the time notice you there, they are like, I mean, you know, obviously there's always like some dicks out there, but like generally speaking, the people that notice you there notice that you might not have been there a lot. They might notice that you don't necessarily look like the person that goes to the gym all the time, but they're not noticing that negatively. They're noticing that as something where they're like, Hey, that's really cool that this person is here and is trying to make a positive change. And they feel a sense of sort of like pride for you um, and pride in you. And I, I also know that a lot of those people report feeling energized by that presence and seeing people trying to make themselves, you know, feel healthier or feel better makes them want to recommit to their own goals. And so this moment is really, really moving. And it's this really beautiful portrait of how Mob, as just somebody who's desperately trying to like find a place for himself, has also made a positive improvement around on the people around him without even trying to. And that's a real fucking thing that happens to people. Like people don't realize the positive impact that they have on others. But this is also a real thing that happens in like working out exercise gym communities too. And I just thought it was so moving. And then, yeah, yeah. Dimple possesses the dude and turns the tables real hardcore. Oh, yeah. Dimple is going to release his latent potential of his strength um, just because his body has been worked out so hard so often and he is going to beat the crap out of this guy and it's great and he gets thrown down. He even tries to get up at one point and have that moment where he's just like, you thought you beat me, but he's just like, no, I'm actually spent. And then uh, Mob wakes up and he's like, he's like, what happened? And they sort of explain what's happening to him. And then there's a hilarious moment where after Dimple... Uh, removes the possession he's just like why can't i lift my arms <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so cool too because it's like dimple possesses him and that possession gives him the amplified power to stand against a psychically amplified person but he also says something like your muscles are created through psychic amplification 
this guy's muscles were created through building muscle yeah. and I am now psychically amplifying them. And so like real muscles are going to trump fake muscles every day. Yeah. And so it's like basically because the guy was like psychically charging himself past a human's strength level, they weren't able to win. But once Dimple even the scores, the real muscles won the day. And I thought that was a really clever solution to this battle. Like yeah. I, I was really delighted by that as an idea. And that takes us into our final episode of this week, uh, episode 11, Guidance, Psychic Sensor. And this episode gives us one of the most, I, 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 I want to say it's the best animated fight I've seen in Mob Psycho so far, but there is not only a beautifully animated fight that breathes and moves so well, but there is also a super poignant moment at the end of this episode as well. So this episode starts with Mob going to the tower. He's going to fight against the leader of Claw and also the Ultimate Five. Um, well, one of the Ultimate Five is already down. So we are going to see the other group as well. They are going to be fighting against... I don't know what this other uh, group of the Claws is called. They're, they're not Scars. They're just... They're red shirts. They're... They're literally wearing red. Yeah, they're red shirts. <laughs> um, they're yeah. people that are given altered psychic powers or given psychic powers not by themselves. They're just, you know, on yeah. their own. And They uh, made a comment here that made me believe that these are all people who did not, were not born with psychic powers, but were somehow given them. And then, like, those powers have been shown in the past to not be particularly strong. And at one point they're able to like do much more than you would have expected based on the established power levels. And a, one character talks to like the leader of claw and is like, did you figure out a way to juice these guys? And he kind of just like smirks it off. So I, I think he's basically been manufacturing a psychic army and has found a way to make them stronger. Uh, but I don't know exactly what's going on there. Cause it, it's not answered in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think one of the things that's really cool inside of this episode too, is that you get to see everybody inside of mobs group shine. Um, you yeah. also get to see the leader of claw be fucking terrifyingly powerful. Um, so which, which one uh, of the, which one of the fight sequences do you want to start out with? Because I, the one that we are going to end with, it has to be the uh, teleportation guy, right? Yeah, I think the I think the best starting place, I, which is I think where the episode starts, is Mob versus Minigeshi. So this is a a plant user. He is able to sort of like psychically create plants, and they are kind of similar to uh, Karama from Yu Yu Hakusho. All of his plants seem to be like uh, fly traps. Uh, unlike Karama, they're not demon plants that are just sort of like created and have uses that are plot relevant. Uh, these are, these are like basically like you're going to get snared in vines and then those vines are going to chuck you into the mouth of a Venus flytrap, And then you're going to be stuck there. And we actually saw there was a, a fight sequence that we skipped over in which like three random characters we hadn't met before had a brief fight with this guy, which was a, a really cool fight sequence, but it, it basically it establishes that these three guys are, are, you know, powerful psychic contenders and make a particularly powerful team. And then Minagishi, as one of the ultimate five, is able to beat them easily anyway because he's so strong. And it's just kind of a kind of one of those battles that shows you how strong the villain is. So then Mob shows up and Minagishi starts attacking him with all these plants and also is backed up by like four of the supercharged red shirts. And so Mob basically turns... Uh, he doesn't turn into an energy ball, but like from an animation standpoint, he is sort of ma like manifesting energy and moving so fast that he looks like just a ball of energy bouncing around on the screen. And like the, the red shirts are like shooting psychic energy at him, basically like laser blasts to try and knock him out of the sky to make him unable to continue dodging these plants. And so mob is having to dodge, you know, five attacks at once but he's doing it and <laughs> it's working. Uh, but he, he is struggling. I think what's interesting here is that the ultimate five do seem to be strong enough that mob might be stronger, but they are strong enough to give him a challenge. And he's definitely being challenged here. Yeah. And then 
One of the scars from the previous group, from the group of scars that has become an ally with him, but this this guy hasn't shown up as their ally yet. Uh, he's the dude who captures spirits. Yes. Uh, his name's Matsuo. So he, whenever there's you know an evil spirit, he will trap it in some sort of container. Yep. And there was this evil spirit recently, this guy named Mogami, who in life had been a powerful psychic, but had become disillusioned with humanity and had sort of created himself as like a curse demon by killing himself. And he became this like powerful malevolent force that Mob ran against and almost lost to. Mm-hmm. And we saw at the end of that conflict that Matsuo had managed to take that Mogami who had become weakened and capture him. And now Matsuo shows up and he unleashes all these cool fucking spirit beasts, which is a totally awesome moment. But then like, he's not strong enough to stand up against the psychic dudes. And they, they sort of knock him around and the bottle containing Mogami falls and the, the red shirts pick it up. And Matsuo is like, no, for real. Like, I unleashed <laughs> a lot of these spirits, but that one I cannot control. You cannot break that bottle. And they fucking do. And yep. everyone regrets it instantly. Yeah, they get red shirted immediately. By so him. hard! <laughs> and uh, the only thing that actually stops him, though, is not any of the psychics. It's not even Mob. Because Mob has a conversation with him uh, where he is he is about to um well he he used his psychic well, energy. He turns to himself possess- into a giant vine monster first, yes. which is totally cool. Yeah, he uses his possession and psychic ability to turn into a giant mo- like plant monster. And Mob has a conversation with him to basically talk him down, where he's just like, "You need to stop because he can be saved." And it's this moment of just like, yeah. you can't, you can't save everybody mob. And also, even if you did save this person and this person told you that they were saved, they might be lying to you and you can't spend your whole life watching these people and making sure that they're doing the right thing by you because it's not always going to be, it shouldn't always be your responsibility. And in that mob is just like, yeah, but that is my humanity. And that's kind of the way that I, I think that I should stand up inside of this world. And he's just like, well, that's good. And I want you, the world to be the world that you are hoping it is. And he leaves him and he leaves behind this giant tree. And he is put at peace by Mob basically telling him that he is going to stand up for his principles. Yeah, it's so interesting because I I thought it it was a fascinating moment. And the way, you know, I was watching the dub and the way that the voice acting works in this moment, the guy, uh, Minagishi, who's had, you know, Mogami has turned Minagishi's plants against him and he has basically absorbed them all to create a body for himself and is using that body to crush Minagishi. And Mob is like, don't kill him. And, 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 you know, like, will you promise not to be a bad guy anymore in exchange for your life? And the way that Minigishi responds is clearly a moment of like desperation. Like this isn't necessarily going to stick. Mogami has a point. He might just be saying this not to be killed. And the, the real work of becoming a different person and changing your ways is not a given and especially in a life or death moment when you have somebody you know begging for their life you can get them to say anything and it doesn't matter you know once they're not in that life-threatening situation and once that person doesn't have power over them anymore who's to say whether or not they're going to stick to it some people will but some people won't and i would argue most people won't because it's hard to change and mob's sort of blind optimism in this moment is so interesting because the way that this scene plays out, it doesn't seem like mob is right. Like from the standpoint of this person said he was going to change. And so he will. I don't think I agree with mob on that. I think the, the most likely aspect is that he will try to change, but it will be a long road. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or I guess the most positive aspect. I think the most likely aspect is that he just said this to get out of this situation and he will change or not give, you know, depending on, the way the wind is blowing once he's sort of recovered from this ordeal. 
But the fact that Mob just is like, I have to believe that people can change is really relevant. Like believing that people can change, I think is a good thing. And it's true that Mob's belief is maybe lacking the understanding that most people won't. But I don't know. I guess my opinion is that like sometimes optimists are good. Yeah. <laughs> and Mob is an optimist. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Sho is going to infiltrate the tower to go try to kill his dad. And uh, again, his dad is the leader of Claw. Um, he is going to get up there, but fall short of defeating his dad when he is confronted with his dad's insane amount of power. He even releases three months of saved up power to try to explode him. And his right hand man who is with him is able to deflect it easily. And so yeah. he is shown he, to be this is also, way too weak. This is Im- Yeah, this is important news. Uh, I did not know that you could just, you know, store your psychic power for one big boom later on. And this is the moment that that's revealed that show has done this. And then his dad is like, look, I've also been doing this for 20 years. (laughs) And so this guy seems like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so far mob has run into a small handful of psychics who are able to give him a hard time. Usually, It is, well, originally it's because they caught Mob off guard. Uh, Lately, it's because Mob's been running into stronger people. But this is a dude who seems to be the, like, even stronger than some of the people that Mob is having a hard time against right now. And so if he were at his normal power level, Mob might struggle to win. But he's also been storing power for 20 years. And so he can juice himself with, like, 20 years worth of his maximum power level. That's insane. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how this is going to shake out. Yeah. Meanwhile, there is a great, great fight against uh, Shimazaki. Top tier fight. Yeah. So good. Shimazaki is the dude who his powers are. He can teleport and he can also predict your movements. He has some sort of like very mild localized psychic uh, future sense. Mm-hmm. And he can then teleport so that he can, you know, almost perfectly counter every attack and beat you before you know where he is. Yeah. And so one of the things that he is doing in order to fight with them is that he is trying to predict the the next thing that is going to happen to him. But they're coming at him from every angle. He seems to be besting everybody until they start to realize that it's not so much that he's predicting the future. It's that he is reading people's minds in order to see the thing that they are going to do next. And so... um so they are able to get the upper hand on him for just a moment until he's just like, no, fuck it. I'm going to actually predict, release his final move, which is this future site. And he is actually able to predict the next thing that is going to happen to him. And then the final moments of this fight sequence, he is, uh, he is confronted by mob and he is just like, Oh, shit, this is way too powerful to come to me. I'm sorry for everything that I've done. And then he just fucking gets, he just bails out of it. And I tell you that fight sequence in a really fast sequence because you should just go watch it. This whole episode of fights are so good and we will not do them justice just like talking about how they go back and forth that this fight sequence is beautifully, beautifully drawn and it, yeah, I, I've said it before, hope, but it breathes so well, too. I also think that this fight is a fine, not jumping on point, but I think if you haven't watched Mob Psycho 100, you can watch this fight and enjoy it. Like, all you need to know is that these are psychic people who are opposed to each other. The fight tells you everything else you need to know. And, you know, it's not dripping in emotional context, even though there is an aspect of rematch here. Like, there's not... Basically, it's a strong psychic guy that the heroes need to beat, and they are underdogs. And it's a good fight from that angle. The one caveat here is that the way... The way that they knock him out with Reagan just fucking appearing... Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> I forgot about so, that! Where he just oh, shows up and he's I just laughed, like... 
out loud. He must be so powerful because he is he's able to mask his psychic ability. And it's no, it's just that Reagan doesn't have anything. (laughs) Yeah, because Shimazaki, when he juiced himself up a notch to actually predict the future, he he basically honed his psychic abilities and he said, I only want, I, I'm not going to focus on anything else that's going on around me unless it is a person with psychic powers. And yep. Reagan is not that. And mob is a lot of that. So there is an <laughs> aspect of the end of this fight where mob starts to approach and Shimazaki is like, Oh shit, who is this? This person is very, very strong. But then Reagan out of nowhere just like slaps him and <laughs> knocks him out. And it's so fucking funny because Reagan runs up and he's like, self-defense slap. <laughs> and the narrator <laughs> The narrator is This like, is one of Reagan's time- special abilities where Reagan <laughs> uh, gets into a fight and yells self-defense, so nobody will call it. <laughs> It's basically like if he's not sure that he's in the right, he yells self-defense so he has plausible deniability. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. And then, yeah, Shimazaki like looks up at him and he's like, God, this guy must be so strong to completely mask his ability. And it's just so funny. Yep. Um, and- so, yeah, the fight's over and Shimazaki teleports away. Yeah, and in the final moments, we have Mob admit that he understands now that everybody is in his way because he is so much more powerful than they are, and this enemy is so much more powerful than the other people can actually stand up to that they just need to stand out of the way and he has to go alone. And it's just this great its this great juxtaposition between the previous episode where he is essentially helpless and going to die without his friends. And in the next episode, he has to realize that he is going to be the only one to stand up and he can't let his friends get in the way of it because they're going to die if they stand in the way. Yeah. There's also the aspect of when Mogami walked away and didn't kill these people. He's like, I, I appreciate your optimism, but you are going to have to be harder on some people sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Dimple saw this fight happen. And so in this moment when mob is like, Hey, I have to go alone. I, he, he says something like it might hurt for you, for me to say this to you, but I need to do this on my own. You will just be in the way. Mm -hmm. And Dimple sees him say this and thinks to himself, Oh, I wonder if this is Mob taking Mogami's advice. And it's this really interesting character moment. And then uh, I would say another very small interesting character moment is Reagan just sort of like mutters out of the side of his mouth to Dimple. He's like, go follow him, Dimple. And Dimple's like, yeah, of course. And it's just yeah. it's just this great moment because they have become kind of a, a trio. And it's this moment of like Reagan is respecting Mob's wishes because Dimple's a spiritual being. He's he's operating under different rules, but like he wants Mob to have someone there with him. He wants Mob not to be alone, mm-hmm. but like he also respects what Mob has requested in this moment. And it's just it's just great. These episodes are so fucking good, yep. and they're so climactic and exciting. And I was genuinely upset that this is where we end for the week. Yeah, but stick with us after these credits and we'll give you what's going on next week. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 15 sound wizard. Fireball! 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 Ad-free versions of our podcast are available on Patreon, along with extra Patreon-only goodies, like additional conversations and articles written by the hosts. Follow us on Twitter at B&SGetJumped. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at Reddit.com slash R slash Get Jumped. We also have a Discord server, and you can find links to that on our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New episodes come out every week. Thanks for listening. Hello. 
Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind, a geek-centric website that covers all manners of topics from video games and anime to tabletop games, board games, comics, and more. If you're looking for a website to add to your daily rotation for some of the latest news, reviews, and overall takes on where geek culture is headed, make sure to bookmark thegeeklygrind.com and pay us a visit. I also wanted to thank you uh, for being a faithful listener to this podcast. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is a vital member of our podcast family, which also includes Knights of the World Table, which is a D&D audio drama podcast, The Ink and Paint Club, an animation podcast, Comic Book Keepers, which is a comic book podcast, and Geek Exploration, the podcast which is on general geek culture. We also have the Geekly Grind podcast, which provides audio renditions of our published articles, special guests, and more. Make sure to seek those out and listen to them wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Naruto Shippuden episodes 163 to 169. Nice. Frog, man, frog, frog, man, frog, man, fight, frog, man, fight. This is what we're doing next week. We're just going to talk about frog, man, fights. Yeah, 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 yeah. Been watching a lot of, a lot of Rick and Morty lately. And uh, this is what you get. <laughs>